thank God. <coughs> Dear Lord, we're grateful for time in your word, the satisfaction the Christians have here of supplicating the word for your will to sit before it as before an altar, Lord, where your good things are given. We'd ask that we would be attentive to your son here this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Every five years or so, John 10 ends up on the radar. I know this, not because I am I'm OCD about dates, because I write it all down. So, I know when I preached in John 10 for the last 20 years or so. So here we are again. It was only four years this time. It was actually almost to the week, March of, what's four years ago? 10? That would be it, yeah. I sometimes think that when we moved into the church is too recently. But then you realize that was 2007. So we're in John 10. We've been in John the last couple of weeks, not by any intention. But uh, I was looking at this and certain familiar passages, you know this passage, it's the Good Shepherd. Um, when you're going through different things in your life or going through a different thought process than you did four years earlier, you read the same passage again. The same things are true that were true in it before, but certain things are leaning on you more heavily about it. Now John 10 starts with the phrase, just right out of the starting blocks. There's no... Um, there's a conversation that occurs in John 9 uh, that we'll refer to in a moment. But it says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably saw a flannel graph of that stuff. You probably had a coloring thing. I grew up in a Baptist church in Maryland where the large same stained glass window, it was, if you think of the balcony there, it was the one on that side of the church. It was huge. It was the Good Shepherd. Uh, um, this was a stone, College Avenue Baptist was like uh, the Methodist Church, a big gray stone block church, uh, nice stained glass. Um, so I stared for decades at the Good Shepherd glowing at me in the morning uh, sun that faced east. We're aware of this. We have all sorts of emotional responses to the picture of Jesus and the little Ba Lamb, the, you know, 50, 100 years ago version of Footprints count, uh, poster. Jesus goes out and finds the little lamb that had wandered away from its mother. So this passage, which, in which Jesus lays this out, we sort of 
just jump in and accept all of its devotional weight and, and let ourselves feel and be washed away by the feeling of Jesus being the good shepherd or the like, us being sheep. Now, two verses earlier in John 9, it says here on the left-hand side, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this, and they said to him, Are we also blind? This is one verse before what I just read. This is the conversation. He's been talking to the Jews. He had healed a guy. And it's great, John 9. If you go back and read John 9, uh, it's a hoot. Because there's this guy who got healed of uh, 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 blindness. And the, the, the Pharisees are just letting, letting this guy up. They want to know, okay, and this guy has got an attitude on him. It's one of the funniest parts of the Bible because this guy's not putting up with anything. At one point he says, uh, um, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you too want to become his disciples? And then a little bit later they give him more grief and the man answered, why, this is a marvel. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. There's, there's a degree of sarcasm in this, maybe because he now can see things. Um, but he gives them a lot of lip. And that's what leads up into this uh, conversation Jesus has with him after he gets away from the Jews who are harassing him. He asked, Jesus asked the healed blind man if he wants to believe. And that's why he said, I came into this world. The metaphor of me healing you was just, that was that. I mean, it was nice, but it was a metaphor. Because I came to make the blind see and to make the seeing blind, which we leave out sometimes in our calculus about Jesus Christ. We think Jesus came into the world to have everyone see the goodness of loving one another. Well, the goodness of loving one another is the goodness. It is true. But he came to shut certain people down. So when he says, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, even though we're familiar with this parable or this illustration, he's going to get to some things in it that start to confuse us. And where the confusion starts to rest on you, you've got to stop and say, who am I listening to? There are thieves and robbers out there, and there is the shepherd of the sheep. It seems to me that Christ wants you to recognize the shepherd of the sheep and recognize the thief and the robber. To, the gate, to him, verse 3, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The stranger they will not follow, 
but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Well, what's he saying to you? At some point, you have, in the same way these Jews have, have an opportunity to listen to this, <coughs> and you're going to stop and say, what kind of Christian religion am I writing up with this? What kind is, is this suggesting to me? It seems that Christ, in the Christian religion, wants to be the center of the sheep's life. It seems that there's a caring relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. It seems that they know him. It seems they know him so well, they won't follow someone else. Oh yeah, it's easy to see when it's Fred Phelps, right? There's only six or seven people that followed him and they were all family. And so you take pride in the fact you weren't led astray by that. Everybody was laughing at it, everybody was mocking it, everybody was shocked with it. How much false teaching has come down through the history of the church that you just go click the hook, the hook? Because, well, they've always taught this. This is always what... He, was, he wrote a lot of books. His name was C.S. Lewis. Now, I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis, so I think it's only right that I pick on him. Because when he's wrong, the fact that he's C.S. Lewis... I'm sorry, wrong. You still get to be wrong as C.S. Lewis. You wake up one morning, you're C.S. Lewis, and you're wrong. <laughs> you somehow think that if I were C.S. Lewis, I wouldn't be. Only if you wake up one morning and you're Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our shepherd. We know his voice. We follow him. People didn't understand that. But it's cast in a circumstance where there's, there's a sheepfold. That's a walled-in area or fenced-in area with a gate. And there's a relationship that these guides in life we're having to the sheep and you're supposed to go oh okay looks like he has a dim view of thieves and robbers people who don't come through the door and he who possesses owns the sheep he has a positive view and the sheep should have a positive view starting to piece it together you start to say okay yeah I, I think uh, I like Jesus Jesus is Realize, of course, even the Muslims like Jesus. Even uh, the LDS likes Jesus. Everybody, Buddhists like Jesus. But understanding, what's the what's the game? What did, what have you realized about your walk with Christ? Uh, growing up again in a Southern Baptist circumstance, I. You know, just got, behold, I stand at the door and knock. You went forward and walked the aisle, signed the card, got baptized. What, you know, what kind of, of um, Christian life have you developed out of this? What have you written? So Jesus again said to them, now remember, back in chapter 9, he said, I have come to make the blind see and the seeing blind. Two Two aspects of his ministry. 
And you want to be rejoicing if what he is saying starts to register with you as an illumination. There's a confidence that arises about you and Christ because you are one of the blind that is now seeing. You don't want to be one of the seeing that he's making blind. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Okay, hold it. It seemed like he was going to be the good shepherd in this illustration. Do you have to do it this way? Do you have to switch things up? I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep will not eat them, did not eat them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, frankly, that's almost the, you know, there's a great part about the good shepherd coming. He is also the good shepherd. I'm a spoiler here. But he's the door. That's, kind of, that's a very, very rich and satisfying image because it talks about if I want the life that this not fold offers, but this flock. Because the sheepfold doesn't offer any life, it is only where those living are at one point. Because they're also out of the sheepfold. It says they go in and they go out and find pasture. The life that the sheep have is not that they're in the fold, but they went through that door. They're of that fold. And that fold, that door, that shepherd has life in and outside of the fold. Too often we as Christians are, are thinking of not just even buildings, but denominations or theological understandings. Did I join this group or that group? If you enter by Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. You will go in and you will go out. There's a life that happens having entered by Christ. The recognition that I am Christ. Now you're saying, I, I'm still confused because he was the good shepherd a few moments ago. Going through the door himself. Remember, Jesus is trying to confuse you. Okay? Remember, part of his task is to blind people. Now David works on eyes all day long. And if it was his motto on the sign, Clearview Medical Center, we will poke you in one eye and give you LASIK in the other. You get to wear an eye patch and see clearly. Or every fifth customer we will blind. Intentional. Now, you can understand why Jesus isn't really all that popular with the Jews. And really, when people start to read Jesus, they start to go, I'm not sure I like him as a rabbi. 
And as you come to that place where you don't like Jesus as a rabbi, you realize that you're turning away from the door. I I'm not going through that door. He's going to say things. He's going to do things. He's just going to leave you confused in the middle of this parable. Same thing happened with the parable of the sower. The disciples were scratching their heads. Or you've maybe run across it with other parables. The parable of the unrighteous steward. Jesus gives an illustration of a man committing crimes and then recommends it. He came, verse 10, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, verse 11. I am the door of the sheep, back in verse 7. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own, sheep are, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. As the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's going to get... The claims of Jesus Christ, if you start to see them, if your eyes start to open to what he is saying, it becomes more and more either wonderful and glorious or unpalatable and something you'd rather not see alive in your religion. This image of the Good Shepherd comes out of Zechariah, uh, the prophet um, at the end of the Old Testament period who gives the illustration of a, of a hired shepherd coming in, working with hirelings who don't treat the sheep right. Christ may be picking up on that, that image. You know what it is to have someone who doesn't care, really. It's like a mercenary, a prostitute, someone who is hired to do something that there should be a, a, a different level of relationship, not merely hire. And he's claiming that he's got the good shepherd, not the hireling. He's not hired for people he does not own. He does not, he has, a, he has a bond with them, and the bond is twofold. He owns them, and they know him. Now remember, when you found the door of the sheepfold, that is also Christ. You decided to enter through Christ, and if you enter, there's life and life abundantly. But on the other side, this fold, this flock, you are not joining a fold, you're joining a flock. And that flock has a relationship with the shepherd. They are owned by him. Remember the passage in Paul, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are owned, and it's personal. You know his voice. He knows you. He calls you by name. This is not agreeing with a philosophy. I love philosophy. I love to argue it. And as I, I, I offer my basic 
uh, philosophy for you, for your consumption. You, I would encourage you to apply this. Um, if you want to win arguments, always pick the correct side. That's just, just an opinion of mine, but that's what I've done for most of my life. Now, I love philosophy. And we are, in many cases, considered you know, a rational church. There's the text, there's an outline. Uh, we try to parse the sentence in a historical, grammatical way, and we try to make sense, and uh, that sort of thing. But there's still, besides the philosophy of life, besides understanding the wisdom of life, there's knowing people. You can't... If someone started breaking down and I have done this to my uh, discredit with my, with my wife as I start to break apart. You know what, the reason I actually am bound to you is because, and then sort of graph stuff out on a flip chart. Well, first, obviously, there's this, and then there's actually knowing the person. Oh, you could describe it, the matrix in which it functions, but there's knowing the person. There is a state of fact. You are either owned by the shepherd or you're not owned by the shepherd. You either entered by the door or you climbed over the wall. In the church today, there are a lot of people who climbed over the wall who think because they're inside the fold, they're inside the flock. Oh, you could be inside the sheepfold, but you didn't join the flock. Because you don't know the shepherd. You walk out the door to find good pasture and only those that hear his voice and listen to him get led by him to where they ought to be. And the people that are just inside the fold and they go, okay, let's all go out and find good pasture with I don't know who because I don't know the shepherd. I will follow a hireling. I will follow the most recent celebrity pastor whose photo is really big on the back of his book. And I will fire up, fire, follow him until he's embarrassed by some situation involving, you know, somebody that he's not married to, usually, or money. Or you know Jesus Christ. The hireling says, cares nothing. You notice I made bold the word cares. It's in the negative, cares nothing. That means that the relationship that Christ has with you, when he knows his own and his own know him, it's a relationship not of factual, I know you exist and I know you from the time you were born, sort of omniscience of God, sort of relationship. Oh, well, doesn't God know everything? He's not claiming that kind of knowledge. He knows the sinner well and good, right? Because he's going to judge the sinner for everything he has done, whether it be good or evil. seems like he knows a lot about him. And Jesus, of course, knows a lot about you. This is a different kind. In one case, the knowledge of God, which would damn someone eternally, cast them into hell, is through great knowledge of that person, so that justice would be done. And God turned away from them in that. In this knowledge, he knows you, and you know him, and it creates a care a turning toward. I turn toward Christ, and Christ turns toward me. 
That's what love is. Hatred is the turning away from, love is the turning toward. And you, as it says in many circumstances in political science, you vote with your feet. What you turn toward is what you want. Where you, where you go with your life, is it a caring? I misspelled personal, or had a typo there. With you, it is a personal. You can leave the fold, but not the flock. If you join the flock. Matter of fact, it's intended that you leave the fold because you got to get fed. If you just join the fold, you're just going to be clueless. You're probably going to get a little annoyed by what starts being represented by the real shepherd. It seems like he's disagreeing with your hireling shepherd that you picked to be the source of all your knowing. He says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Oh, by, I, I, in that red passage in 15, um, he compares the union that you have with him in this realization of door and shepherd, of owned, proprietary, and personal. In that, he's saying it's like the Trinity is united. Now, I don't know your doctrines of the Trinity. We don't check that sort of thing at the door. You could be really wrong. I could be wrong. All these descriptions of the Trinity. We just know that the triune God, there is one Lord, has such a degree of unity that we theologians are confused about it. Okay? Weird enough that it's confusing. Bizarre enough in union that it's confusing. That's the kind of union. That's the kind of knowledge. That's the kind of belonging that Christ expects out of him and his sheep. And he prophesies here that he lays his life down for them. It's so easy for us, especially as first century Jews, hearing this from a rabbi, already having a backdrop of Jewish ego about being the chosen people, and naturally being very conscious of of, of course, he has come for his sheep. And don't even say to yourself, of Israel. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will heed my voice. He just discounted the fold. Remember I said you're joining a flock? It's who you walked through, who you got to know, who feeds you. So there shall be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This charge I have received from my Father. There's an in, almost an insolence for the plan of Christ to die. And it says he became sin who knew no sin. 
he walked into that one. The struggle that he has in the garden, this cup shall pass from me, when he submits himself to the Father's will, he walks into it with such confidence. And all of that, all that wonder of the passion, we've got, we got Easter coming up, right? And I don't know if you're a Lent person or not, whether you're church calendar or not, but Easter we, we do celebrate here because I think the women like the chocolate. But we uh, start to think about the death of Christ, the atonement of Christ, the resurrection of Christ in these calendar um, times. This is what built the flock. This is what is the uniting point. That death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, of his own accord, of his own will, that he might fulfill the charge of the Father, so that he might feed his sheep, that he might own his sheep, that he might have a personal, uh, phenomenal moment with his sheep. I guess it might matter to might matter to us all uh, how seriously we take the story of the door, how the door functions, story of what the door teaches, what the shepherd teaches. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he is mad, why listen to him? Where are you on that? He said, well, it's not socially appropriate to say that Jesus had a demon. That would kind of be blasphemous. What are you feeling, though, really honestly? That he could really teach this a lot more clearly? Others said, these are not the sayings of one who has a demon. Because those that are being given the sight are different than those the sight's being taken away from. What they thought they could see, they can. And other people have their eyes opened. And they're going, you know this? Oh, I, read, I read a lot of ancient works. And I've been reading recently some of the apostolic fathers. And I'm sure some of them were nice guys. And I'm sure that Jesus loved them. But uh, my gosh. The teaching is just... Opaque. You can't see through it. Or it's silly. But you read Jesus Christ. You read the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, you might not grasp it all. But you know there's stuff bigger than you on the page. Stuff that's more important than what you think. You know that the problem's in your head, not on the page. These are not the sayings of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It was the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. Uh, oh, by the way, I uh, have here on the side, you should wonder why is that Ephesians 2 in there on the left. That was in reference to the uh, other sheep of this fold where he talks about the ministry of the Gentiles uh, in Paul making one person in the place of two, so making peace, that Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. And that's why that, it's just for your meditation there on the side, and I forgot to mention it. 
It was winter, verse 23, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered round him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense if you are the Christ? Tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. But you do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. They hadn't joined the flock. They hadn't recognized Christ as the door. They hadn't recognized Christ as the shepherd. They found themselves challenging him. Even the claim, please tell us plainly, it was combative. Oh, I've told you plainly. And I did miracles in front of you, which some people said, I can hear the words of God and what he says, and now a demon-possessed guy isn't going to give sight to the blind. They were seeing the miracles, they were hearing the words, and they knew the things of God were in it. And he says, you don't believe because you don't belong to my sheep. And you're witnessing to people. And I trust you do. I hope you're ready with a defense of the gospel and circumstances. Uh, we hear of some here that we pray for at various points in time. But I hope it's going on more than uh, those conversations. But you have to recognize that some of the... Sometimes you come away going, I don't know how to convince him. Oh, he's an agnostic. He's an atheist. He's this, that, and the other thing. Or he's just a difficult religious person who claims to be a Christian, but I don't think he's really a Christian. They don't believe. They don't belong to his sheep. They don't understand what the door is about, who the door is, the laying down of his life, he and the Father being one. So here on the left-hand side, I have a few remarks. This is when you want it to be the fold, not the flock, this bothers you. There's a... Institutions, they have a locatability. You can feel assured because you joined this church. We don't, as you know, let you join this church. None of you are members. I'm not a member. You are either joined to Christ or you aren't. Good luck with that. You will live that in front of the rest of us, and you'll either seem to be part of Jesus Christ, or you will seem to be someone who's just faking Christianity. But we're not going to let you hide in the fold as much as we can. But some people want the fold more, because the flock is a little bit too fake. You want it to be plain, like they asked here. Tell us plainly. Why can't he? Why does he have to? Why can't he just say, okay, this is how the Trinity works, this is how salvation works, okay, we'll go through a basic systematic theology, and this is the doctrine of man, the doctrine of the end times, and I know that these visions are really hard to interpret, so I'll have a little annotated version of the Bible. This is what I meant when I said 666. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? to have a letter found from John the Apostle, a follow-up, a postscript to the seven churches of Asia. Oh, golly, I forgot to put this in. 
the Antichrist, the 666, is so-and-so name given. And this is why I was hiding it that way. Thank you. Oh, such a relief. Plainly. The lack of plainness may annoy you. Because you don't want to look for something. I would give this, and this is not a judgment on the current generation and your phones. We were talking about this the other day, about the ubiquitous looking things up on Google. And the younger generation, well, you know, really fast. And we say, as adults, we go, and you really don't care. Because if I have to put a quarter of a mile in a library door and walk into the third floor of the library to find the book that has the answer in it, I care. If I could Google it, I'm not sure if I care or not. I don't know if I'm really looking for the answer. I just want ease of information. I don't want to pursue God. I want ease of information. Why can't this church have a statement of faith? Is it because we don't believe anything? Oh no, we believe like Bilio. We're just not going to write it down for you. You've got to go look for it. You've got to go talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ about it. It may annoy you that it's not made easy, that you could pass the test, blue book exam, the doctrines of all souls Christian. I aced it. He says, uh, you don't belong to a sheep. And nothing is more really bothersome insulting even to someone who has tried to make religion a certain way the way they would like it to be they'd like it to be plain they'd like to have the systematics out there they'd like to have the flock very clearly defined in a certain fold have you ever suspected that there's more going on spiritually than you realize that you ever wondered? I've asked people who doubted their salvation. If you, if you uh, in doubting your salvation, if you were convinced you weren't saved, would you get saved right away? If that was the conclusion. I've been doubting my salvation. I've come to the conclusion I'm not a Christian. What's the first thought? All right. Now I get to wait for them to convince me. Not... Jesus saved my sorry soul. Not, I repent in dust and ashes. Do you ever wonder if there's more than what you've got? Jesus suggests that you can belong to his sheep and that your lack of belief, your lack of pursuit is because you're not in that group. That can be really insulting. I give them... My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And no one can, shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Then he says, I and the Father are one. Oh. 
Because this door is no longer, remember the door is just a metaphor, it's just an illustration. The shepherd is just an illustration of a Christ who is someone we must find to enter this flock. We got to determine between him and other rabbis if what he says is what is true and the flock we want to pursue. And it's a judgment on us that we're the kind of person whose eyes are opened by Christ or whose eyes are closed by Christ. You'll want the feeding that Christ gives you in that flock. You won't be looking for ways to not listen to Jesus Christ. You're going to rejoice. But you're going to come to a place where he claims to be God. And that's a little over the top, really. Honestly, if you think about a, you know, a, a carpenter from Judea, about 30 AD. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, I am him. I am he. I and the Father are one. And look at the response. And the Jews took up stones to stone him. Is your hand reaching for a rock? We don't keep rocks in the church, just out of safety. You know, we don't want anyone ever going, you know, Wilson, that sermon was the worst sermon. And reaching, their hand twitching for a, a nice one of those stones. You don't want to kill me, but you just want to just bounce one off my forehead. Do you want this? This door, this shepherd, this flock, this relationship, this ownership, this personal thing, this is something that you have with deity. Not with an idea, not with a movement, not with a particular theology, with someone who is a god. And you're either going to like that or you're not going to like that. Because if you came through the door, through Christ, and you're fed by Christ, you have a knowledge of him that is a loving knowledge of him. And you know the good. And you know the glory. Don't expect that everyone else is going to. An awful lot of people. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are they that go therein. And narrow is the way that leads to life. And those that find it are few. Deal with it. We're not here to become popular. We're here to find the living God. We're here to be part of that flock who have that loving relationship with Jesus Christ. The Hebrews passage I have here at the bottom, it's the benediction in Hebrews, but you'll see why I have it here. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are grateful for your Son, his feeding of us, his teaching of us, his saving of us, 
his ruling of us, his owning of us, his loving of us. Lord, we ask that we would be the people whose lives demonstrate that we heard his voice, that we were able to believe because we found the door. We wanted the door. Keep us ministering this gospel in your son's name. Amen.